Let's pray together. Oh God, what Bradley just sang. It's the truth, isn't it? This book, Words of Life, for a new year, a new journey, a new chapter, a new beginning. Oh, send the Holy Spirit to us to sing to us those wonderful words. Sing in our minds, sing in our hearts, sing them again and again. Draw us to your heart and mind through the Spirit and teach us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. That was beautiful. You needed that, Bradley. Thank you very much. Before we plunge into today's teaching, I'm going to put a couple numbers on the uh, big screen for you. Put them up there, please. That's not the depth of snow and how many days it's going to snow, by the way. <laughs> and it feels like it. Came to First Church this morning, and I'm telling you, we ought to give a hallelujah to our grounds department up early in the morning to make it possible for us to worship whole congregation here in Bering Springs, Michigan. We have just started live streaming last Sabbath. This is our second Sabbath. And so we have people watching out in California and perhaps around the world already. You don't understand that we've had about, what, 14, 16 inches overnight of snow. And it's a beautiful sight, if you can see it. But we're here, and we're grateful. But those numbers, something else. 777, our world church, our, our, our faith community globally is launching as of this last week, a brand new prayer initiative. What's the 777 mean? Seventh-day Adventist, seven days a week, at seven in the morning and at seven in the evening, banding together every nation on earth that we occupy, banding together and pleading with God for the outpouring of the mighty third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. 777. Brand new website. Just came up. I saw it yesterday for the first time. I'm going to give it to you. Revival and Reformation. Revivalandreformation.org. All kinds of teaching material to feed your heart and soul as you and I band together with the world community, unite together in pleading with God to pour out the Holy Spirit as never before in the history of earth. God knows this civilization needs the outpouring of Christ's Spirit. God knows this church needs it. We are nothing without that outpouring. And so I want to invite you right now. You're back from holiday break, and it's great to have you back. 777, join me every day, 7 in the morning, 7 at night, praying, dear God, pour out the Holy Spirit upon me and revive this university, revive this church, revive us, oh God, 777. That other number, 31 days, is not a world initiative. It's a pioneer and Andrews University initiative. Beginning right now, beginning this weekend, we're launching 31 days of prayer. We experienced it this last fall, and we realized we, we can't just let that be a one-time experience. And so I want to invite you to join Karen and me. For the next 31 days, set aside some, set aside some time focusing on the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and use this, use, 
use some grist, some spiritual grist to, to inform your praying. We're going to take that little classic, I don't know how many languages, 104 languages it's been translated into. I'm talking about Steps to Christ. We're going to take Steps to Christ, three pages a day. In fact, if you, if you have your worship bulletin today, page, I believe it's page 17. Yeah, here it is. If you have your own copy of Steps to Christ, here's, here's, here is the outline for you. Here are the, here's the opening paragraph to the next, next three days. Page 17, just hang on to today's bulletin. Take it home, find a time, morning or evening, whenever. Take that little classic, Steps to Christ. By the way, those of you watching live stream, you can go to our website, ORG, PM Church ORG, and we'll have this bulletin there, and you can actually copy off the, uh, you can have the 31-day the breakdown. But listen, you're saying, hey, Dwight, I'm just not into books. I'm, I'm into everything that's electronic. We're ready for you. Facebook. We have it all set and ready to go on Facebook. And on Facebook, here's what you're looking for. You're looking for 31 days to peace and happiness. All right, that's the add-on that you want. 31 days to peace and happiness. You can download that onto your little smartphone. And guess what? It's all there for you. You don't even have to have Steps to Christ. Every day you can read it on your smartphone, the reading from Steps to Christ for that day. Then pray. 31 days of praying. 31 days, you and I, this, this community in prayer, God is going to do something mighty, I believe. I'm confident of it. In fact, my young friend, Austin Pender, he was here in First Church, thought he was sitting right here, but uh, he actually helped design this webpage, Facebook page. Facebook, 31 days to peace and happiness. What do you say? We want these words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, but those words will never penetrate without the without the impact of the mighty Holy Spirit within us. And so, please join me in that, that praying. What else can I pray for in the 31 days? At the end of this sermon, you will know there's one more prayer I'm going to ask you to pray for the next 31 days. If you pray this prayer, I haven't told you what the prayer is. It's not the Holy Spirit. If you pray this prayer and God answers it, you will never be the same again. All right, let's go into today's teaching. So how would you define this word? R-A-D-I-C-A-L. How do you define the word radical? Well, radical can be an adjective. Let's take a look. I went to the dictionary online. We found, uh, here, here's, a, here's a definition. Radical adjective, thoroughgoing or extreme, especially as regards change from accepted or traditional forms. So I went to the news media online. Okay, anybody use radical this last week? Here we go. USA Today, here's a headline. Radical cleric al-Sadar returns to Iraq. That would be the extreme, the extreme cleric, all right? Here's another one. Sydney Herald, Australia, headline. Ferguson plans radical revamp of Manchester United squad. Talking about soccer. Coach is going to radically revamp the squad. That would be uh, thoroughgoing. Wouldn't that be what it means? Here's, here's the headline from Front Page Magazine. Rolling back Obama's radical agenda. Well, that could be thoroughgoing or extreme, depending on your political perspective. Radical, adjective. But the word can be used as a noun, as in, she is a radical. He is a radical. And I'm much more intrigued with the definition of radical as a noun. Put it on the screen for you. A person who holds or follows strong convictions or extreme principles, extremist, a person who advocates fundamental reforms by direct and often uncompromising methods. The Radicals, plural noun. Brand new pulpit series here at Andrews University in the Pioneer Memorial Church. The Radicals, 
Over the next few Sabbaths, we're going to examine a handful of radicals straight out of ancient history. People. Thoroughgoing reform. Unfazed by culture around them. Radical in the position and stance they have taken. Who knows? Maybe God will make one out of you. Maybe he'll make a radical out of me yet. Open your Bible. Let's go. The radicals. First radical. Meet him, please. Genesis chapter 12. Let's go. Great to see that sun breaking through the stained glass windows. Genesis chapter 12. On this new year beginning. Genesis 12. By the way, you didn't bring a Bible? Oh, grab the pew Bible in front of you. You've got to track this. Just three verses, but radical. Genesis chapter 12. Pew Bible, it'll be page 7. I'll be in the New King James Version, which is the translation of the Pew Bible. Here we go. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said, he's already talked, the Lord had said to Abram, I need to tell you who the Lord is here. The Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. You need to know who's giving this command. The one who became Jesus of Nazareth, this is the one speaking. He is the I am, all the way through the Old Testament. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you, verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me ask you a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, all right, you, you, you figure this out. On a scale of 1 to 10, how valuable to you are the amenities, the accoutrements of a sophisticated society? By that I mean, how important is it to you to have instantly available Wi-Fi and a 4G network? Huh? How valuable would you you rank having a steaming hot shower every day? How valuable to you is Walmart? Got a friend in this town who uh, is a member of our congregation. His name is Garen Denton and he owns Village Hardware here in town. Please shop at Village Hardware. And I was in Village Hardware the other day, and we were chatting, Garen and I, and a guy from Chicago walks up and says, hey, I'm looking for something. And, and then I said, well, listen, if you can't find it here, you can find it at Walmart. And Garen looked at me, and he said, Dwight, I don't want to ever hear you say that word again. <laughs> ever. So, archaeologists tell us that Abram and Sarai, this is their hometown, this is their hometown, Ur of the Chaldees. This is where they lo- This is where they met. This is where they fell in love. This is where they got married, Ur of the Chaldees. Archaeologists tell us that Abram and Sarai. And by the way, if you could turn Genesis 12 into an internet page with embedded pictures and YouTube clips, you would discover, if we could have a picture of Sarai, that she was exactly as the Hebrew renders it here in chapter 12. She was stunningly beautiful. All right? So archaeologists have excavated, let's put it on the screen, they have excavated Ur of the Chaldees. It's in Iraq today. And as they they have gone into that city in the land of two rivers, that's Mesopotamia, they have discovered beautiful, get this, two-story homes with a central courtyard and a stairway inside the house up to the second floor. They found out that the homes in Ur 2,000 years before Christ, when Abram was there, that the homes had state-of-the-art sewage systems. Now, I understand that the thought of that doesn't exactly leave us breathless. 
But you've got to understand, there are tens of thousands of villages and towns on this planet today without state-of-the-art sewage systems. That was some sophisticated town. They found a school system second to none. They, they have excavated the, little, the, uh, the, the school tablets, reading, writing, arithmetic, and geography, bright young scholars, and Ur of the Chaldees. Thriving metropolis, supermarkets outdoors, exotic bazaars. I tell you what, country folk who visited Ur thought they had died and gone to heaven. Once upon a time, God went to the most sophisticated city on earth to find a radical, and he found him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, read it again. Now Christ, the pre-incarnate one, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Talking about radical. I mean, can you believe that? Not only are Abram and Sarai being called to leave their highbrow, sophisticated culture and clearly upper class sort of living, the divine command is to leave their family and their father's house behind. And immediately in this story of this radical, we are confronted with three definitions of what it means to be God's radical. We've got to write these down. Grab your, grab your study guide out of, your, out of your, your bulletin this morning. Pull it out. And let's jot these down. Three of them. Never forget, three definitions of what it means to be God's radical. By the way, you didn't get a study guide? Thank you, ushers. Let's go. Hold your hand up if you didn't get a study guide. In case, it, case the uh, greeters had all left because the snow had blown them away. And you got in here without uh, that bulletin. Hold your hand up. Here they come. All, all the way up in the balcony, by the way. Any, anybody sitting in overflow today, make sure that they get the uh, study guides as well. And we're delighted to have you who are watching live streaming or watching on television. Glad you've come. Welcome. Here's the new series you're looking for. It's entitled. I'll put it on the screen for you. In fact, let me put it on the screen because you also need the web, our web address. Our web address is www.com. PMChurch.tv. You go to that website, you see it on the screen there, and you're looking for the brand new series, The Radicals. The series, actually, the title is longer. It's The Radicals. You see it there. This generation, this world, this time. That title's never going to change. Six parts, all six of them, exploring what it means to be among the radicals at the end of time. You're looking for the radicals, and when it, part one, you're looking for part one, and when it says study guide, click on you'll have the same study guide. You've got to get these. If you're watching, you've got to get these three definitions of what it means to be radical with God. All right, let's go. Definition number one, to be God's radical means you must be willing to part with your own family. Write that in, please. That is more than clear with what we have just read. I repeat, to be God's radical means that you must be, you must be willing to part with your own family. By the way, that is precisely Jesus' point. When he defines radical discipleship, when the pre-incarnate Christ becomes Jesus, that's his point. Watch this. This is Luke. Put it on the screen, please. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus speaking. Boy, does this seem, does this seem radical? If anyone comes to me and does not hate. Whoa. I thought you said the great commandment is to love. No. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also... He cannot be my, my disciple. Now, hold on a minute. Hold on. Before you get, get all agitated, remember now, Jesus is an Oriental. He's a Middle Easterner. And he's using Oriental hyperbole. And so when he says hate, he means loves less. 
Put that, put that back up on the screen, please, that same verse. He means love less. If anyone comes to me and loves me less than his father, than her mother, than his wife, than her husband, children, brothers and sisters, yes, her own life. If anyone loves me less, you cannot be my disciple. Now there's one more verse. Put it up, verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me. You want radical? You got it with, with Christ. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jot it down, will you please? Radical means Christ must be the supreme authority in your life. In other words, you will love and obey him more than anyone else in your life. Supreme authority. You want to be radical? Supreme authority, Christ. And to honor Christ's supreme rank in our lives, some of us, and here's the point, some of us will have to break. This seems so counterintuitive to... to you know, warm family life that we, we emphasize in our community of faith. Some of us will have to break with our parents. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy. Because the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. But some of us, when the call of God comes to us, we'll have to break because mama's going to say, hey boy, you're not going to do that. I don't, think that's what, I don't think that's what you should do. I've always dreamed you should be this son. Mother's, Papa's going to say, hey girl, I didn't put all that money into school for you to change your major now. You stick with it, honey. Some of you are going to have to break with your parents. Some of you are going to have to break with somebody in the house with you, your spouse. You're going to have to break. Jesus says, if you love your spouse more than me, you're not worthy of me. This is, this is, this is radical stuff. Abraham, you, get out of your father's house. Leave your family. Break. Come, or I'll show you. Why is the command so radical? This is insightful. I'll put it on the screen for you. You have it in your, uh, your study guide. In fact, you'll need to fill it, in, fill it in. Patriarchs and Prophets. This classic, describing the Old Testament stories. Boy, it's a great book to read. Let's go up. Put the words on the screen. Many are still... Oh, isn't this something? Many are still tested, as was Abraham. They do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens. I don't hear anything. Anybody talking to me? I don't hear God speaking to me directly from the heavens. Do you? No. No. They don't hear the voice of God. But he calls them by the teachings of his word. Some of you are going to get a call today that you have never heard before in your life. You are, you are going to be certain it is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it is going to begin, that voice will begin to speak to you in terms you have never thought of before. He's going to speak through the teaching of the word of God. You watch. Not all of you, but some of you. He will speak. He calls by the teachings of his word and the events of his providence. Man, stuff has happened. Look what happened here. Whoa, why is all this happening to me now? Through the events of providence. Keep reading. They may be required to a abandon a career. Write that down. You may be required in this call to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor, to leave congenial and profitable associations and separate from kindred or family, to enter upon what appears to be only a path of self-denial, hardship and sacrifice. God has a work for them to do, but a life of ease. And now hold on. And the influence of friends. Sometimes our friends are not any help. <laughs> Sorry. They're great friends. But when it comes down to making a decision for God, sometimes our friends actually they kind of work against what we've got to do. No, don't blame them. They're, at a, they're somewhere else right now. But where you are, they aren't. 
uh, how's this read here? God has a work for them to do, but a life of ease and the influence of friends and family would hinder the development of the very traits essential for its accomplishment. God calls them away, calls us away from human influences and aid. He leads us to feel the need of His help and to depend upon Him alone that He may reveal Himself to us. That's why the call, radical call comes. What did He say to Abraham? Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Because to be God's radical means you must be willing to part with your family for the sake of Christ's call upon your life. Number two definition, to be God's radical means that you must also be willing to part with your own country. Your own family, yep, but with your own country. Read Genesis 12, 1 again. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Would you write that down in your study guide, please? Get out of your country. Get out of your country to a land I will show you. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, in its purest sense, is what it means to be a missionary. In fact, jot it down, please. The call of God to Abraham was the call to become a missionary. Isn't that amazing? To become a missionary. In fact, Abraham and Sarah were the first missionaries of Holy Scripture. They left the homeland that they loved and moved to a strange land where they had never been, but to which God had called them. Gone are all the amenities of a sophisticated society. Gone the dearly beloved family ties that bind. No GPS, no Rand McNally maps, no nothing except a God who said, hey, come on out. I'll show you where we're going. As we get going, come. And by the way, how could you possibly leave everything you spent years building up for, for some anonymous spot on a distant map? I mean, how could you possibly do it? I mean, you know all the years I spent building my career? All the years I spent building this house and you're asking me to leave now? And by the way, at the age of 75, Abraham's 75. He said, I don't see any 75 here. We'll just look at the next text. Look at verse 4. So Abram left. He departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and so did Sarah. And Abram was 75 years old. Come on, a youth, a youth may leave his native land with little regret. But a man 75 years old, settled and rooted, asked me to leave my land? Please. You think about it, though, Moses. Remember Moses? Two-thirds of the way through his life, at the age of 80, God finally finds Moses, the radical. He finds him in the wilderness, and he says, Hey, I'm going to call you to be a radical for my kingdom. At the age of 80, 75 and 80, He's two-thirds of the way through. That would put him in his 60s. Good news for those of us who think that when you push your 60s, you're getting ready to be, to be pushing up daisies. Good news, by the way, for those of us who think that in order to become one of God's radicals, you have to be young. You don't have to be at all. Forget it. Good news for those of us who think that in order to be a missionary, you have to be young. No, I've... That may be bad news because God will take a missionary at any age to become a radical for his kingdom. Which means we need definition number three of what it means to become God's radical. So jot it down. Number three, let's go. Number three, to be God's radical means that you must be willing to part with your own family is number one. Country is number two. And now jot down number three. 
Be willing to part with your own blessings. And that's a key point. Let's read it again. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We'll pick it up right at the top. Now the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, had come to Abram. And he had already spoken these words. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Now we go on to verse 2. And I will make you, I will make you a great nation. Now you try to feel the irony of Abram who is hearing this for the first time. Because his name means exalted father. And he's 75 years old and he and Sarah have no kids. They are childless. Nothing. And so God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham says, listen, don't be fooled by my name. I'm no exalted father. I'm not a daddy at all. We have no kids. Let me tell you something. There are times when God comes and steps into our lives and speaks the impossible that we say, no way, Jose, it'll never happen to me. You may be at that point right now. And God is going to step into your life and he's going to ask you to do something absolutely impossible. It can never happen to me. I've never been to a university in my life and I'm too old to go to school. Don't ask me to do that. God may ask the impossible of you because when he steps into you, when he steps into your circle, he's the God of wonders. He's the God of the impossible. I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. And by the way, did God do the impossible with Abraham? Come on, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And you are one of them and so am I. So let's just praise the Lord. Oh, it's not, not another stanza. In fact, I remind you, speaking of all those sons and daughters, the three great monotheistic religions on this planet, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all trace our lineage to Father Abraham. God really, the God of the impossible, stepped into that man's life and did what he dreamed never could be done. Don't you ever sell God short. If he calls you to an impossible task, he'll provide the wherewithal for you to accomplish it. You never quit. You never give up. All right, enough of that. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Oh, by the way, isn't it something how Moses juxtaposes the story in, in uh, Genesis 11 with Genesis 12? That's intentional, by the way. Because in Genesis 11, verse 4, the builders of Babel say, we will make ourselves, let us make ourselves a great name and build this tower. Very next story, God steps in and he says, hey, I'm the one that makes names great. I will make your name great. Good for us to hear, by the way, in an academic community like this one, where the pressure's on to make yourself great. I mean, come on, publish, research, do something, make yourself a great name and bless us with that reputation. Sometimes in our eagerness to make a great name for ourselves, we forget that there's only one being in the universe who can make you truly great. And he's the one that came to Abraham and he says, I know this is impossible and it doesn't make sense. Follow me and I'll make you great. I'll make your name great. Wow. I will bless those who bless you. This is verse 3. And I will curse him who curses you and in you. Here comes the punchline now. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
And in you, missionary father Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul quotes this very line, by the way, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And he announces to the world, 2,000 years before Christ was born, God raised Abraham up to become a part of the lineage to bring Christ into this world so that Jews and Gentiles alike, all of us can be saved by faith. In you, all the families, all the families of earth shall be blessed. God blessed Abraham so that he would part with those blessings and spread them to the lost world around him. Which is the stirring point, by the way, of the great missionary prayer in the Old Testament. Put it on the screen for you. Have you ever read this missionary prayer? This is called the Old Testament's great missionary prayer. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. Notice how the prayer goes. God, be merciful to us. Okay, so this is the community of faith. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? Ah, so that your way may be known on earth and your salvation among all the nations. God, please bless us so that your salvation may be known amongst all the peoples. Bless us so that we might impart those blessings and we might bless the world, which of course is the whole point of divine blessings. You know, last semester we had the, we had the, the study series, The Gift, and we noted in that series some astounding blessings that have come to this humble little community of faith that you and I belong to because of the gift. The largest Protestant educational system on earth, the largest Protestant uh, uh, health system, medical system on earth, 10-year longevity edge, and so on and so on. But I remind you that the story of Abraham and Sarah along with this great missionary prayer make it clear that the point of all those divine blessings is not bragging rights but saving rights. That's the point. God's ultimate agenda is always the lost world and never the saved community, ever. What drives heaven night and day are the lost and not the saved. That's why when Jesus is here, remember, Christ said, hey, whoa, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jot it down, will you? Please. God blesses the saved so that they might save the lost. That's the whole point of a divine blessing. It's not for you to hug and cuddle and warm little fuzzies over. No, no, I'm blessing you so that you'll bless the world. And I can save the lost. Which is why to be God's radical, you must be willing to part with your own blessings and get this, by becoming, just like Abraham, a missionary. Now hold on. Becoming a missionary. That's a stunning premise of a book a friend of mine gave me for Christmas. David Platt's brand new book. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Radical Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. I read the book through over the holidays and I thought this guy was a seasoned 50, 60 year old young man and then I went on Google yesterday. We went on Google and we found out who he is. He's a young pastor. 4,000 member church, Birmingham, Alabama. Began his life immersed in the needs of the world and he's written this book. It is a dynamite book. Radical Taking Back Your Faith from the American dream. David Platt makes two stunning, two stunning assertions. And I want you to listen to these. Number one, everybody is called to be a missionary. Everybody. And here comes stunning assertion number two, to be a missionary. Now hold on. To be a missionary is to be a foreign missionary. Foreign missionary. Amazing. 
Let me, let me share a provocative line or two from his book. Put it on the screen. You have it in your study guide. In fact, you have to fill it in. Let's go. David Platt writing. It's a foundational truth. God creates, blesses, and saves each of us for a radically global purpose. Global is the mission. Global is the purpose. What about Benton Harbor? We had a beautiful interview here with Steve a moment ago. Yeah, absolutely. Benton Harbor is part of the globe. But Benton Harbor is not enough. If this campus became utterly preoccupied with Benton Harbor, that would be wrong. The calling is to the world. Benton Harbor is a platform to the world. Oh, it's a foundational truth. God creates, blesses, and saves each of us for a radically global purpose. Keep reading. But if we are not careful, fellow Americans, we will be tempted to make exceptions. But where in the Bible is missions ever identified as an optional program in the church? Indeed, Jesus himself has not merely called us to go to all nations. He has created us and commanded us, commanded us to go to all nations. You say, hey, Dwight, where are those, where's that command? Oh, you know, you didn't even have to ask it. Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore into what? All the world and make disciples of all nations. It's a command. Verse 18, he says, I have all authority under heaven and earth. I have the authority to command you. The whole world is your parish. Keep reading. Ah, uh, but what, we, what have we done as Americans? We have taken this command, though, and reduced it to a calling, something that only a few people receive. In the process, we have unnecessarily and unbiblically drawn a line of distinction, assigning the obligations of Christianity for a few while keeping the privileges of Christianity for us all. That's a key point. Make sure you get those words. The obligations for following Christ? Well, a few people. But the privileges, well, we all get it. Platt goes on, in this way, we choose to send off other people to carry out the global purpose of Christianity while the rest of us sit back because we're just not called to that. End quote. Amazing. We've done that, haven't we? Oh, maybe not overtly, intentionally, but certainly subconsciously. Of course the privileges that God has poured out are for all of us. But the obligations of those privileges... Those are the few that are especially gifted. I'm not called to be a missionary. I don't have that spiritual gift. But since when, ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this. Just think logically for a moment. Since when are the privileges of God's call for all and the obligations for only a few? Does that make sense at all? It doesn't make a, doesn't make a shred of sense. Whoever is privileged, let me put this on the screen for you. Whoever is privileged is obligated. That's the whole point of this teaching. Whoever is privileged. Abram comes from the most sophisticated city of the land. Privileged to the max. God says, I'm going to ask you to give it all up. All of those advanced degrees, all of that, that was all for getting you out of your sophistication to a strange land where the culture is low and the populace is lost. And I'm going to use you there. I'll leave that up. Whoever is privileged is obligated. We forget that, don't we? Listen, over a century ago, Ellen White concurred with David Platt's disturbing observation with even strong... Look, at this is stronger language than Platt dared to use. Let's put this up. A century earlier than Platt wrote it, here we go on the screen. Many suppose, she wrote, that the missionary spirit and qualification for missionary work are a special gift bestowed upon the ministers and a few members. It's the very word Platt uses. A few members. Never was there a greater 
mistake. You can't come to a more wrong decision. Can we say a wronger decision? Than to think, look it, the few are the missionaries. The rest of us, we get all the, we get all the privileges, not the obligations. Never was there a greater mistake. Keep writing. Every true Christian will possess a missionary spirit. For to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. Isn't that amazing? Because, hey, hey, come on, guys, help me out here. Who was, the greatest, who was the greatest missionary in the history of the human race? Who's the greatest missionary? Hands down. The man who stretched out his arms on Calvary, the pre-incarnate Christ, the greatest missionary of all time. And what did Jesus say? A disciple, a disciple is not above his master. Oh, I can't go, Jesus, because I have a very nice house here, and I, I'm really comfortable. Wait a minute. Hey, time out. Didn't I have a nice house where I was living? Didn't I have a nice house? Angelic maid service? I left it all. Don't you give me this. Oh, I've got a very special situation here, and I can't go for you. A disciple is not above his master. He's lower. She's lower than her master. And if the master does it, and your master is radical, the disciple does it, and you become radical. The radicals. Remember, supreme authority belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever he commands, yes, my Lord, I will do it. Amazing, isn't it? Calvary's missionary. I tell you what, her language gets even more stunning. Let's put one more line up there. Fill it in, please. No one, no one, nada, no one, nobody, no one will be registered in the books of heaven as a Christian who has not a missionary spirit. Do you know what that means? Listen very carefully. Come on, you're young, bright, and alive. Listen to this. You will not get saved without a missionary spirit. You cannot get saved without the missionary's heart. You can't. Why? Because you're not like your master. Nobody will be registered as a Christian who has not a missionary spirit. Oh, come on, Pastor, what are you saying? Look at I did cruise with a mission. Isn't that enough? Oh, that's good. No, no, no. No, that's good. But listen, Pastor, I'm going to take spring break and go to Lebanon or Honduras. Well, that'd be wonderful. You go. Oh, come on, Pastor. Every time there's a strong missions appeal, I give to missions. I have given major hunks of my income to missions. Well, good on you. Have you fulfilled your obligation as a disciple of the radical master? Think about it while I read to you Wall Street Journal. Isn't this amazing? Wall Street Journal? Can any good thing come out of it? July 2, 2010, a friend of mine, Don Wilson, sent this to me. How missionaries lost their chariots of fire. That's good. Here you go. This is, written, this is a, a, an editorial written by Brad A. Greenberg. He's the creator of thegodblog.org. Listen to this. The overwhelming, the overwhelming majority of American missionaries today are vacationaries. He got our attention, didn't he? 
The overwhelming majority of American missionaries today are vacationaries joining mission trips of two weeks or less. They serve in loca locales where Christianity already predominates. The purpose then of their visit is to battle the ills of poverty and to stretch their own spirituality. Nothing wrong with either. But according to studies by Robert J. Priest, a missiologist and director of the doctoral program in intercultural studies at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School over here in Chicago. Now listen up. Okay, these are our, our sister across the lake. According to Robert J. Priest, 82% of short-term missions today go to countries in the most Christian third of the world. Only 2% land in the Middle East. The toughest region that needs it the most. 2% go, why? Because you can't do much there. Isn't that amazing? I thought it was going to all the world, not just keep saturating the save part. Near the end, he writes, and he's got good balance here. The, real, the reality is the church should be doing both, serving the needy and spreading the gospel. This is what makes the humanitarian work of Christians different from that of the American Red Cross. Both are motivated by the desire to help others, but Christians are spurred by that Jesus thing. That's what has you and me going today. It's this Jesus thing that transforms Abraham's call into a template for third millennials like you and me. It's the Jesus thing that's, make, that's making the difference. There's nothing wrong, by the way, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with short-term missions. We sponsor them at Pioneer. There's nothing wrong with becoming vacationaries. That's okay. But God's call to Abraham and Christ's command to us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations is a much more life-altering call than two weeks of... Uh, vacation. What are you suggesting, Dwight? Do we all have to go be foreign missionaries somewhere? Last David Platt quote, put it on the screen for you. I think it's in your study guide too. Platt writing, in all this missions talk, you may begin to think, well, surely you're not suggesting that we're all supposed to move overseas. That is certainly not what I'm suggesting, although I'm not completely ruling it out. <laughs> I like that. But, now notice, insightful, this is precisely the problem. We've created the idea that if you have a heart for the world and you are passionate about global mission, then you move overseas. But if you have a heart for the United States and you're not passionate about global mission, then you stay here and support those who go. Meanwhile, flying in the face of this idea is Scripture's claim that regardless of where we live, here or overseas, our hearts should be consumed with making the glory of God known in all nations. Guess what? Because a lot of you are sitting here from other countries. We've got 100 nations here in Andrews, and you're saying, all right, you go, Dwight, hit those Americans. I'm talking, he's talking to you, by the way. Because the people from Zimbabwe are saying, yeah, you just keep sending people to us. No, Zimbabwe, you have to be concerned about the world too. It's not all about just everybody sending missionaries to your country. You send missionaries. Where are you from? South America, you send missionaries. Where are you from? Germany, you send missionaries. This isn't about America now. This is about the entire globe of Christianity and Adventism called to the entire globe for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a missionary means you get out of your homeland. You get out of your comfort zone. You move away. Just like Abraham and Sarah. Just like Jesus called the Christ. All right, where were we? All right, pick it up in the next sentence. Because, see, what, see, he's saying, look, this has to include Zimbabwe and Brazil 
and the U.S. because from cover to cover, the Bible teaches that all the church, not just select individuals, but all the church is created to reflect all the glory of God to all the world, end quote. That was Abraham's call, to all the world. And that's your call. And by the way, that is my call as well. All the church, to all the world, all for Christ. That's the missionary call that as a radical disciple of Christ, you live under. Come on. The privileges demand obligations. You've been enjoying the privileges for years now. The obligations, you're old enough, the obligations now kick in. And so here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Today, tomorrow, we're beginning a new 31 days of prayer for this campus and this congregation. Here's what I'd like to invite you to do, please. Over the next 31 days, I would like to challenge you to pray this prayer night and day for 31 days. I'll put it on the screen for you. Pray this prayer. It's at the end of your study guide as well. Oh God, give me your heart for this lost world. Now look at this, is tough. And I will go anywhere in the world you send me. This is called radical, okay? Let's read it out loud together. Oh God, give me your heart for this lost world and I will go anywhere in the world you sent me. Pray that prayer morning and night for 31 days. I'm joining you, by the way. I'm praying that prayer. Morning and night, I will, with the next 31 days. And on February 12, we will come back together. February 12 will be just over 31 days. We will come back together, and we will wonder what God has done. I'm challenging you. You like to live on the edge, don't you? Don't you, don't you get tired of an insipid life that just kind of crawls this new year live it on the edge radical faith pray that prayer 31 days and i promise you if you mean that prayer your life will be changed i have no idea how god will change your life but he will change your life my life will be changed you say dwight you're too old to get changed not too old nobody's too old 75 years old 80 years old God will take radicals at any age of their availability. Nobody's too old. If you'd like a little grist to, to prompt you in this prayer, let me end with this quotation. This is, these words are written 100 years ago. Isn't this something? Are you using all your powers? Dwight? Ew. Dwight? Are you using all your powers in an effort to bring the lost sheep back to the fold? There are thousands upon thousands in ignorance who might be warned. Now watch this. Pray. We're going to do it. 31 days worth. Pray as you have never prayed before for the power of Christ. Pray for the inspiration of His Spirit that you may be filled with a desire to save those who are perishing. End quote. Pray as you have never prayed before. I invite you, I challenge you for the next 31 days to join me in praying as we have never prayed before. And let's see what the radical master will do for these who have chosen 
to follow him until death. Let's stand as we pray. Oh God, we weren't really counting on something this radical this early in the year. But if you could do it to Abraham and Sarah, I suppose you could do it to any of us today. Anywhere on earth, the call. Get out of your country. Leave your family, your father's house, to a country I am calling you to. Dear God, what does that mean for us? Oh, Father, over the next few days, 31 of them, and we'll come back here on Sabbath, and we'll continue to ponder this call for the next 31 days, please. No, we're not just lipping this. We choose to pray this prayer in earnest sincerity before you. I have no idea what you're going to do. But this generation, and that's all of us, this world, that's the whole civilization, this time, there never could be a more critical time for us to go radical. So, dear God, do whatever it takes. Please begin even now to answer our prayers. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the love of the Father and the grace of the Son and the fellowship of the Spirit might abide with us every step of the way. Amen.